Well, good morning. Good to see you all. If you take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, Old Testament Nehemiah, if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seats uh, down below you or it's going to be on the screens. And we welcome you to uh, our services today as uh, we're in a series called Unexpected. And I just want to say uh, last week as we kicked this off with Unexpected Love, uh, what an amazing weekend we had at Friends here with Friendship Baptist. Uh, Yeah. If you weren't here, uh, you really need to go online and, and watch that service. And as I have uh, been overwhelmed with text messages and phone calls and emails of people uh, this week, I just want to say, you know, there are times when you're, you're proud, and I think it's a good proud. I was really just proud of our church. I was proud of, of who you were and uh, what we stand for here, but that you opened up the doors and welcomed people. Uh, we were on a scavenger hunt this week as a staff, so we had different teams, and we were running around the city doing stupid stuff, so if you saw me, hi. Um, I dressed in a Santa outfit, and we then, we were trying to find a random group to sing with us, and so I said, well, let's go to Friendship Baptist, because <laughs> that random group, they can sing, and so we went there, and uh, there was only three or four of them, <laughs> and they weren't the ones that could sing. They told me, we can't sing. I said, you know, get in the group, so we had them sing, and it was just awesome. When we walked in, man, just the smiles and the hugs and the love and uh we're going to do it again. I don't know when, but we'll do it again. And it was an amazing picture of, I think, uh, church. And as I've heard, it was a bit of heaven. And so uh, thanks for all of you being here and being a part. And for those of you who serve, thank you for welcoming uh, Friendship Baptist. Uh, it is going to, I think, uh, be something that catapults both of our churches into the future. And uh, I'm excited to see what God does uh, in and through us. And for some of you who have chosen to go to Friendship Baptist uh, and you already went this morning, welcome. And they have some people that are coming here. I'm not sure why. I've said our people are going to go there. Some have already told me we're leaving church and we're going to Friendship. I'm like, great. You enjoy that. It'll be awesome. But today as we gather, we're in this series and we're going to talk about unexpected joy. Uh, and as we pray, prepare for Christmas Eve, uh, Aaron Kim wrote that great song. I want to encourage you. We're not having church here on Christmas Day and because we're doing nine services between these two campuses on Christmas Day. going to be for you and your family and to give you know, our four or 500 volunteers a rest because uh, most of you wouldn't come anyway, so we'd be scrambling. So we created this online and you go to friends.church. It's going to be an awesome, awesome thing. But I'm excited for Aaron and for the team and what they put together. You don't want to miss it. But as we talk about this unexpected joy today, I read an article this week that came across uh, my computer, and I loved the opening line. It said this, 9,684 straight shifts in the factory of sadness. <laughs> kind of depressing when I read it. But then I started to read the article, and it was uh, about a man by the name of Joe Thomas. He was the third overall pick in the NFL draft in 2007, and he was drafted by the Cleveland Browns. He skipped the event. And if you don't know anything about football, draft day is a big deal. So if you're one of the top ones chosen, man, they, it's a big deal. But he goes, I'm a lineman, and I'm in the background, and I'm not on stage. So he chose to go fishing with his dad that day. And uh, he was drafted third. And uh, he has been in Cleveland almost one decade. He's played through everything. He's had three torn knee ligaments. He's had two high ankle sprains, yet he has never missed a game. He said it's a sense of duty and a sense of pride. He said, I never thought about missing a day of work because that's just what you do. But he said this in the article, nothing matches the pain of losing. He's been there nine years, and he's used to winning. 
He was a winner in high school. He was at the University of Wisconsin for college, and every year uh, he had a winning record. His rookie season, the Browns went 10-6, and six, so he was pretty optimistic that things were changing. But since then, Cleveland has won 37 games and have lost 103. He's had six head coaches, and he has protected 18 quarterbacks in his nine years. He is durable, he is strong, and he is determined. But it's been hard to show up every day for work in the factory of sadness. His name's mentioned all the time in trade talks because he's a pretty high-prized player. But he said, I want to stay in Cleveland. He said, I saw the Cavs win a championship in the NBA. I saw the Cleveland Indians go to the World Series. And he said, I'm just holding out hope that maybe one day in my painful career will somehow end in joy and the Cleveland Browns will win the Super Bowl. And last service, I had somebody clap. There was like one Cleveland fan. She was pretty excited. <laughs> and I said, good luck. You are 0-12 this year, and you're losing today. And so, the unexpected joy is probably a little bit delayed. And I thought to myself, what a sad commentary. To say every day, every moment, every shift, 9,684, he's called the factory of sadness. And some of us today, we walk in this place, and with life and circumstances and junk, we might look and say, that's, that's me. It's not just work. It's just me. It's my life. And there's an overwhelming sadness to many. And yet, I, I look at Scripture, and I think there's just a different way that Jesus proposed for us who are his followers. There's a way that says, I've come to give you life. I've come to give it to you abundantly. He is the essence of joy, and he said, my joy is to fill you and actually to overwhelm you, that it would spill out from you. Yet many of us have been caught in this emotion of sadness. We identify with the part of Jesus that says he was a man of sorrows, that he understood grief, that he was acquainted with our grief. And we come into this day, and we might want a new beginning. And I watch that movie and I see situations and many times we try to change our circumstance on what's on the outside and that brings us temporary joy. But I think Nehemiah begins to unlock a joy that's not temporary. And he begins to help us understand that everything just like joy on the inside begins from within and goes, without, goes out. And so this morning we look at Nehemiah chapter 8. He builds the walls. He rebuilds the walls in Jerusalem. Chapter 1 tells us that as he heard news of the walls that had fallen down uh, guarding Jerusalem, that he began to weep. And he was uh, just mourning, it says. And he began to fast. And he was asking God, what was his duty? What was his role? And God called him to go and to lead a team to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But I think he understood something. He wasn't just rebuilding the walls. He was going to rebuild the people of Jerusalem. He wasn't just doing something on the outside, but eventually he was going to do something on the inside that was going to change their hearts. And that brings us to chapter 8. Prior to the, the rebuilding of the wall, Jerusalem was an open city. It was broken down. It was economically depressed. The morale of the people was at an all-time low, and there was nothing that was glorifying God. And yet, he comes in and rebuilds the wall and brings hope to these people. And in chapter 8, he brings this man by the name of Ezra, who is a scribe and a priest. And he says, Ezra, you're going to read the word of God to these people, and we're going to gather them back together. And God's going to do something in and through the people 
of Jerusalem and these children of Israel. And in chapter 8, a long section here, but we're going to read together starting in verse 1. And it says this, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. It was made up of men and women, all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Skip down to verse 5. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book of the law of God. Making it clear, verse 8, and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, do not weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go, enjoy some choice food and some sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. You might want to underline this sentence. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still. For this is a holy day. And he tells them again, do not grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. So what happened on this day? Well, what I believe happened is that the Spirit of God used the Word of God to revive the people of God. The Spirit of God came upon this great group of people, and God's Word was proclaimed, and the people revived. History shows us that in every situation where revival has broken forth, two things have been prevalent. One, the word of God is proclaimed, and two, the people of God are mobilized. In this time, we think of revival as when many people come who are far from God come to know Jesus and his saving grace, and that is a byproduct of revival, but revival is when God's church is revived and God's people's hearts are stirred and are mobilized to go because they heard the word of God, and they go and then share the love and the hope of Jesus, and revival begins to break out from within the church to go out into the world. And the first revival really is recognized here in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8. God shows up in this new and refreshing way, in a way they haven't seen or heard. And after the walls were rebuilt, that was just the beginning, as God was rebuilding his community from the inside out, and they were becoming this worshiping church on earth as prescribed in the Old Testament form. And now he begins to work, and he begins to move people forward, and his kingdom is coming. And I want you to take notice of a few things from this text. In the very first verse, he says this, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one. And they met in the square before the water gate. So this is a meeting that had been planned. 
presumably by Nehemiah the leader. He had planned this meeting, and what happened is the wall had just been built and completed just days before. And so after all this time and construction had gone on, all of the people went back into their towns and to their homes because there were no towns, uh, no homes that were right there in Jerusalem at the time. So they went away to their homes. And I can bet as Nehemiah as a leader is going, hey, I'm going to call you back in just a couple days for a meeting. And I wonder if he thought, I wonder if anybody's really going to come back. They're probably tired, they're exhausted, not sure if they want to come back for another meeting, but he calls them back. And it was sort of like last week when Kenneth and I got together. I mean, Saturday night we were a little nervous because we weren't sure what was going to happen. We were scared, we were going, okay, is everybody going to come? He was really scared because he was like, I don't know if my church is going to show up or not. And then they showed up. And God did something. And the same thing happened here. It said the people came back and they showed up and it said they were one mind. They came together as one people. That phrase in this section, all people, occurs no fewer than ten times right here in this chapter. The writer wanted us to know something. That being of one mind is significant for God's church to be revived and his message of hope to go forth. And he chose the water gate because I believe it's specific that water in the Bible is a picture of God's word. John 15, 3, Ephesians 5, 26, and water for drinking is a picture of the spirit of God. And when we apply the word of God to our lives and we allow the spirit of God to use us and enable us and to work in and through us, that comes out. And we not only are refreshed and empowered, but that is where revival begins. When God shows up and his word is taught and his people are mobilized. So they came together as one. They're hanging out at this water gate. And it says in verse 1, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book or the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. It's pretty interesting because they came together, and I don't know what was on the agenda, but one thing I do know is the people cried out for the word of God to be preached. It says that they were hungry for God's word. Ezra didn't come and preach over them. He didn't come and then demand them to listen. They were eager, it says in verse 1. They were attentive in verse 3 and verse 7. They were worshipful in verse 6. And these people were ready to understand. Six times in this chapter, it says the word understanding, that the people came to know and understand the word of God. And you know, for us, we got to understand the word of God and what it means to our own lives before we can ever go out and proclaim it to someone else. It has to be real to us before it can be real to them. And in this moment, they were craving the word of God. And God's truth makes a difference in our lives. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. When I'm in your word, when I understand, God, what you have for me, when you direct my life, I stay away from the things that aren't of you. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this, All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It says they asked for the word of God. They wanted to understand, and they began to understand. And can you imagine? They were attentive. From about 6 o'clock in the morning till noon, there was six hours that this dude, Ezra, got up on a big wooden uh, podium that was built for him, and everybody saw him, and they were attentive to him for six hours. Can you imagine me talking to you for six hours? I would be exhausted. 
Some of you can barely handle me for six minutes. Can you imagine after six hours, you'd be like, Cork, just shut up. Six hours. But you know what happened? The Spirit of God was there. The Word of God was proclaimed. And the people of God were revived. They got it. And when they got it, it got them. These people were, were changed. It says they stood up and they raised their hands and they cried out, amen, amen, which is, make it so, make it so. Last week, we had a lot of amens in this service. It was awesome because usually it's just my mom and she's been gone for about two months. She's visiting my brothers, so it's been kind of quiet around here. It's kind of good because I have ADD and she distracts me, but man, last week, there were a lot of amens. And you know what? They were just confirming, make it so. Make it so. And in verse 9 and 10, it says this. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listen to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, now he comes on the picture and he begins to talk. Go enjoy some choice food and some sweet drinks. Send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord. That's your strength. The people have been weeping because now they began to understand what they had been missing. The people have been weeping because now they were told what, it was, what they were supposed to be like and the people they were called to be, and they realized all that they had missed out on. See, the Word of God comes and it convicts, and it convicted them of their sin, and they began to weep, and they began to look back, and yet their happiness made them look forward. I think there was tears of sadness and there were tears of joy and it was all mixed into one. And then Nehemiah gets up and he says, hey, knock it off, man. He said, you guys need to go out and have a party. He said, go get some pizza, get some sweet drinks, have a Coke or two, share it with those in need because when you share out of your abundance, that's when I am seen. When you live out your faith and when you go do something instead of sitting around and grieving and weeping, God is going to forgive you of those sins. Now go forth and be my people. And isn't it interesting right there? He says, hey, let's just don't celebrate for ourselves. Go out in the community and give some stuff away. There's a lot of food and celebration. Let's go and give it. Yesterday I was in my office early in the morning and I was preparing. And uh, at about hour number four, I get a text and it was uh, Skip Lanfrey, one of our missions pastors, and they were up in Building 7. And what they were doing was they were taking your boxes of love that you brought back and money that we've given. And we were creating stockings and gifts for all the foster kids in Orange County. And our goal was to make sure every foster kid had Christmas this year. And so we had a goal of 1,725 stockings that we needed to make. So he texts me and he says, hey, we just blew away our goal." We have so much stuff that our church gave and money that we are now up to 3,800 stockings that we are giving away for Christmas. Is that awesome? There's going to be some pictures on the screen of people giving. And you know what I, I said? That was out of your abundance. That was some of your leftovers. That was us just going to the stores and getting some cans and, and filling up some boxes. That was us giving money so we could stuff toys and, and give kids some great things for Christmas. 3,800. One of their workers came to me and they said, next year we're going for 6,000. We could do that, can't we? 
You didn't sound very excited about that. Yeah. Make it so. Yeah, nicely done. But that was out of our abundance because we understand God's word. That we're not just supposed to come in here and gain some knowledge and hear God's word and then leave and come back next week. We're actually supposed to go out and live this life of faith and be different so the world might see Jesus. And he says right here that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, all of us in life walk through all of those emotions from sadness to joy to anger to frustration to disappointment. And the psalmist comes and he, he wants to remind us in Psalm 30 verse 5, for God's anger is but for a moment. And some of you just need to hear today, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy. Joy comes in the morning. And Nehemiah understood as they looked back that they were realizing their grief and their sadness and their disappointment. But he said, let's look forward. And remember God's grace and his goodness. And let's rejoice. And in verse 10 is where I think he unlocks the secret to your joy and mine. Because it's not found in changing everything on the outside. It's not found in our success. It's not found in, in getting the next promotion. It's not found in making more money. It's not found in any of that. He says this, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I want to say it like this today. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and the strength of your joy is the Lord. Have you ever just watched people in situations where they should not be joyful? <laughs> you ever watch people with cancer, and, and I go to hospitals, and I see, and there's some people that are just filled with joy. There's something supernatural going in, and it doesn't matter what their circumstance is on the outside. There are moments of weeping, and there are moments of sadness, but they live in this supernatural joy that I go, I want some of that. And Nehemiah comes to us today, and he said, here's what it is. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and the strength of your joy is only found in the Lord. Nothing else. And for some of you today, it's an unexpected joy to experience God and his love in ways you could never imagine. And this Christmas, we don't want you to miss that. Because some of you have been in 9,684 shifts in the factory of sadness and defeat and hopelessness. And God comes and he says, guess what? If you're my child, I love you and you have found favor. And joy comes in the morning. And I am the strength of your joy. So how does that happen? What do you have to do to participate in this? And a few things as we wrap things up. Uh, first one is this, is that you cultivate your hunger for God. You cultivate your hunger for God. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this, joy is the serious business of heaven. In the Bible, it's not an option because it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say that was terrible. <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, what? Rejoice. So much better. Friendship Baptist would have been all over that. <laughs> and there's this hunger for God's word. Psalm 91 says it this way. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, in whom I trust. Whoever dwells tells us that we have options, 
this morning. It says if you choose to dwell in the presence of God, if you choose to, to be in his word, if you choose to acknowledge him in all things, it says, guess what? You're going to be able to say he is my refuge. You're going to be able to say he is my shelter. And then, no matter what's going on outside, you will be able to say, I trust in you, God. You've been faithful. But you've got to cultivate this hunger, as the people in Nehemiah's day did, for the word of God. He says in, in Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy. Where? In your presence. Eternal pleasures are at your right hand. He says in 119, uh, 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. He says, man, start cultivating this relationship with me. And I promise you, I'll be faithful to you. Many of you go to the gym and you work out and... Uh, and I'm there a few times a week, and I'm at random times, and I see some of you all the time, every time I'm there. So I know you're there pretty much all the time. And that's great. I'm, I'm glad you're taking care of your bodies. That's awesome. And so I started thinking to myself, what, what if some of you gym rats, or are some of you people that just hang out on Facebook? I don't hang out on Facebook, but some of you love that, and that's cool for a little bit. I don't understand it, but that's great. Um, what if you just did this? Just try it for this week. For those of you who go to the gym for one hour, what if you just tried to spend one hour with God? What if you, you tried to take care of your soul as much as you take care of your body? Because, I mean, it's working for me. Look. <laughs> I mean, everything that's going to fade away and go away, we put so much time into. And then we take a couple minutes. And we wonder why when circumstances in life and all this stuff comes our way and overwhelms us, that, that, that we don't have the strength to stand up. He says, whoever dwells. So put a timer on your Facebook and say, if I hung out for 30 minutes, what would that look like to hang out and feed your soul? If this is the strength and the foundation of where your joy comes from is God's word, you're going to have to cultivate a hunger for it. Second is cultivate your mind. Cultivate your mind. I, I, I read this this morning, that, uh, this week, excuse me, optimism doesn't guarantee anything, but it sure does improve your chances. Optimism doesn't guarantee anything, but it sure does improve your chances. I love being around people that glass is half full. I love that they're optimistic. You know, I, I have had a, my wife drives her crazy because I, I don't worry very much about too many things. God gave me a, a, a sense of faith that what his word says is what he's going to do and he is who he says he is and I just believe that. I probably don't worry to a fault sometimes. Kenneth looked at me last week, he said, dude, you are so relaxed. He goes, I am so high strung. He said, I'm nervous. He said, I can't handle these services three a day. He said, this is a lot. So you just sit there and relax. I said, yeah, I'm not worried about too much. I just have come to figure out that God's got this. And the more I worry, the more I try and insert myself is the worse it gets. Optimism doesn't guarantee anything, but it improves your chances. John Ortberg said this, to a large extent, joy actually flows from a certain kind of thinking. Cognitive psychologists remind us that always between the events that happen to us and our response to them lie our beliefs or interpretation of those events. If outlook determines outcome, then the attitude of our mind 
will determine your joy or your lack of it. Have you ever wondered why the theme of joy is carried throughout the New Testament? It's everywhere. Because I believe the followers of Jesus were looking through a different lens. They had an eternal lens, but they had a lens that they experienced something that we have experienced, just not firsthand. They experienced the resurrection. They saw this man walk with them for three years, and they saw him go to a cross and be buried, and then they witnessed him alive. And the resurrection changed everything. It changed their view. It changed the lens of how they saw things, and they began to look with an eternal lens rather than the temporary lens. And their mind was focused on Jesus. James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Cultivate your mind. And the last is cultivate your faith. John 15.11 said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know what preceded that scripture? It's what we talked about last week. So Jesus came and he said, hey, um, do as I have done. My father commanded me to love one another. And he said, so I'm asking you to obey me that you would love one another. And then he said, when you figure out how to love and when you actually live out your faith and you love sometimes the unlovable, when you share my love, he said, that's when your joy is going to be complete. You know why when you walked in this room, for those of you who were here last week, there was so much joy? Because you actually saw faith lived out inside this room, and it didn't go just outside the room individually. We corporately saw the body of Christ come together. And there was so much joy because we actually lived out our faith right here in real time. And in that moment was a little bit of heaven. And I think that's why so many people say, can we do it again next week? Then it would become normal. You wouldn't be as excited. But maybe, just maybe, you can remember that that's what it's like when our faith is lived outside of these walls. That when we begin to cultivate our faith, God begins to do something. That's why Nehemiah said, hey, don't sit around and grieve. Remember, we got to go out and change the world. we got to go out and proclaim the good news and the hope of Christ. My friend Ken Kemp wrote me a letter this week. And he just said this, and I pick it up right here in the middle of what he wrote. And he said, and here at long last, we sing and we dance together. We rejoice in the proclamation of the sacred text. In this house of worship, we let it go last weekend. And all of us, if we would have had windows, they would have rattled. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. He said, last weekend, I couldn't sing. My throat swelled up. Tears formed on the corner of my eyes. A warmth moved up from my chest and a heart burning with the Spirit of God. Old Testament characters built altars at times like this so they wouldn't forget. We now have a powerful appetite for more. And he said, I, for one, am a first-level cheerleader, celebrating with genuine appreciation. I look forward with eager anticipation to the next steps. What happened last weekend is a model for what needs to happen everywhere across this great land. May what we did be a new beginning, a spawning of a new generation of hope, help, and love, a movement 
may it be a revival that will be seen and heard everywhere. Last week was filled with unexpected joy. But scripture tells us that as his followers, so can you personally be filled with joy. Because it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. And the strength of your joy is only found in him. As we look forward to this season, the Old Testament ended. Probably one of the darkest period in time. God didn't speak. It was at a time when, when people weren't expecting anything. It was at a time when the world was probably in chaos and it was dark and void. And it was in this unexpected time that God showed up in an unexpected way. That's why it says, when those wise men saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Because the Savior of the world had come to give them life. And as we live out our faith, I just think uh, there's so much left to do. Your radical generosity this last weekend was unbelievable. If you were here, uh, when we gave Kenneth the check, we gave him a check for their sound system because, as we said, they're just great singers and they were remodeling their building. And from what you gave out of your abundance, we gave them this check for $25,000 to help them with their sound system. And he was the only one that knew in the first service. If you were here in the first service, I handed him the check and he just started crying. He already knew he was getting it. And he sat down in that seat and he said, I am overwhelmed right now. And then you gave in the offering in just two services, $11,000 in cash. And we said all the cash was going to them. And so last week you blessed this church with $36,000. And we exceeded our budget last week. $175,000 we got last weekend in the offering. Global Freedom got 11. Orange exceeded their budget. Here's what happens. When you live out your faith and you do things tangibly, not just for the people of God, but for the world to see, God takes care of you. He takes care of you and me. Thirty-eight hundred stockings. Are you kidding me? I was I was up in the chapel this week, and we're remodeling. It's almost done. And the inside of the chapel, I just I just stood there, and, and Dave, our sound man, played the new sound system for me. And I, and I'm just standing there, and I'm like, this is awesome. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, but he knew he was rebuilding the people, so that the community could see the glory of God. In the next few months at Upper Campus, hopefully, when we get approval, the outside, all that's going to be redone. And we're going to rebuild our little area here in Yorba Linda. And it's going to be really cool. We're going to rejoice. But I think God's doing something on the inside. Because it's not about another building. It's about a new grass spot and fire pits and really cool things for our students and for us. It's that the community would know that we love Jesus. And I'm proud to be a part of a radically generous church. And when I walked that chapel the other night, some of you came to Christ there. Some of you were revived there. And he's saying to us today, let's come together as one. 
And let's just don't gain a bunch of knowledge here and leave and come back next week. Let's actually be the church that lives out its faith. And this season, may you understand, you can change everything on the outside. But we're going to have the days of the factory of sadness. And it is until you understand it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. And the strength of your joy is only found in Him. Would you stand? God, we thank you. Your desire is that we have a life and a life that is abundant because you are in control and we have submitted ourselves to you. God, may it be not just a good day, may it be a good week, may it be a good month, may it be a good year, and God, ultimately a good life because we have centered our life on you. So this season, I pray for this church that we would bring unexpected joy and unexpected love and on Christmas Eve, God, that we'd be a church that, that actually invites people to come with us, that need to hear, that, God, you are reviving us and you're doing something within us that you know others need. So, God, may we go out and may we take those cards and may we be a, a group of great inviters, that this place would be people filled with people who we just want to share your love. And that, God, uh, we would see them experience the hope and the goodness of Jesus Christ. So Father, we celebrate you today. We say thanks for what you're doing among us. And Father, may we be people that are filled with joy. Not because everything is great, but because you are. And we have decided to place our lives in your hands. You are our refuge. You are our strength. And it is in you that we trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.